Wrestling Podcast, a very proud wrestling podcast covering everything from Winnipeg to worldwide. My name is Blair Pacheco. I may be sounding a little subdued currently because it is 4 a.m. and this was the only time I could find to record this because once again I have terrible time management skills. So what can you do? So 4 a.m. talking about wrestling. Why not? It's what I do. So um, this week I had a interview lined up. It fell through on the weekend, which, you know, my bad. It happens. Uh, hopefully I will be able to reschedule with them and bring them on at a later date. But, uh, I had an interview planned that fell through. What was I going to do? And, you know, leading into Halloween, I figured, you know what? I'm going to review something. I thought about doing a greatest Halloween Havocs matches, but then it didn't have the same length or depth as, you know, the WrestleMania or the SummerSlam that I have done previously. So I figured, you know what, straight up, I'm just going to record a show. The NXT Halloween Havoc didn't really have that much appeal to me. So I was digging through the archives and found uh, WCW Havoc 1998. And what was special about this was this was the rematch of Hulk Hulk Hogan and Ultimate Warrior. I'd never watched that match, so I figured, you know what? We're going to do that. So this episode is going to be reviewing Halloween Havoc. But before I do that, uh, October 28th, CWE is putting on their Spin the Wheel, Make the Deal show at Rookie Sports Bar. Now, the reason why I'm mentioning this, it ties in nicely. Halloween Havoc was the inventors of the Spin the Wheel, Make the Deal I remember watching, you know, the old uh, Shaw video on commercials where they would show, like, the promos for pay-per-views. And I remember the Jake Roberts Sting one where they're spinning the wheel and everyone's shouting, spin the wheel, make the deal, spin the wheel, make the deal. I think that match ended up being a coal miner's glove match, but CWE is doing their spin the wheel, make the deal event October 28th. All of the matches will be spin the wheel, make the deal. So, what you can look forward to if you're heading down, if, you know, tickets are available still, so make sure you grab them. Rookie shows are always a great time. You have Hotshot Danny Duggan taking on Tyler Rose. Uh, There's Rob Rob Stardom is in action. Uh, Dragneel versus Adrian Burton. Uh, There is also, I just lost my place. Of course that's going to happen because it's early and uh, it's what I do. Uh, there's going to be tag team action. There will also be James Roth versus Kevy Chevy. Uh, if you watch the recent ringside rapid fire, you saw James Roth on there. If you haven't, go to my YouTube page, check it out. Uh, it's good times. Uh, Chad Daniels will be uh, defending his junior Unified Junior Heavyweight Championship. Uh, Josh Cheeks Holiday will be there versus Easy Rider. Uh, Red Hot Summer will be defending their CWE tag team titles against uh, Kevin O'Doyle and Kevin Cannon. So there is a whole whack of uh, fantastic matches. Grab your tickets, head down to Rookies, check it out. It is going to be a good time. As I said earlier, today we are talking Halloween Havoc 98. 
Uh, I would love afterwards to hear your thoughts on the pay-per-view, if you've seen it, what you thought about the Hogan Warrior match, or even the card in general. There was a couple fantastic matches on this card, like no bones about it, but that Hogan Warrior match was something else. Oh, I'll get into that when the time comes. But uh, the other notable thing about this pay-per-view is when it originally aired, Normally back then, pay-per-views would fall into the three-hour slot. There was no overrun. So this one had an overrun, but I guess they didn't notify the cable company. So before the DDP-Goldberg match got started, like they had done their walkouts, if I'm not mistaken, then the cable company cut the feed. So they WCW ended up having to show that match the next night on Nitro because they ran out of time. And going through this card and watching it, and you see some of the stuff that they could have cut out to fit it and avoided all of that difficulties and problems. This was one of the, uh, the things that made WCW WCW in the end where they were, you know, messing stuff up or the continuity and storylines, all of that sort of stuff. So this was, you know, almost like the start of it. There was other stuff, but this was very notable because this shit didn't happen. So, Halloween Havoc 98 starts off with a promo. So you know that if you're going to get everyone into it, that's the best way to do it. And uh, we had the dog face gremlin, Rick Steiner, out there. He's talking about his upcoming match with uh, Scott Steiner. They were feuding at the time. They Scott had joined the NWO in 97, if I'm not mistaken. They were battling all throughout. So... Talking about their upcoming match, uh, Buff Bagwell makes his return after uh, injury, and uh, he's decked out in the FUBU, which was huge in the late 90s in wrestling. Uh, everyone seemed to be rocking it, most notably Kevin Nash. He would always rock the uh, the FUBU, the For Us By You. So. Uh, Buff has his back. He's back. I don't know. You can never really tell Buff's, uh, Buff's intentions with things, just the sort of character he is, but... Yeah, that's uh, Buff's going to be in his corner, and uh, we're going to see how that plays out. The first match is actually Raven versus Jericho. What I notice about this is the theme musics. They're both the WWE version of their themes, which I always thought that when they purchased WCW, they would have purchased everything, like the rights to the old music and stuff like that, which would have made sense. It also would have made sense just to keep it because hearing Break the Walls Down for Jericho back then just doesn't fit in. And even Raven's theme. I think at the time he was using a knockoff of uh, Come As You Are, if I'm not mistaken. Because Jericho had even flow. DDP had Smells Like Teen Spirit, and I thought Raven's was almost like a Come As You Are type one. Rick Steiner's, when I heard it later on is a complete ripoff of uh, welcome to the jungle. No doubt about it. So, um, the theme music stood out. The name Chirons really liked it. I had been watching some old Halloween Havocs leading up to this and throughout all of it, there were like something fun and different. So huge props to them. I know it's a small detail, but something that stands out just fits in when the, with fits in with the entire vibe of the show. But um, notable about this match, you had two heels because Jericho, he was faced to start off, turned heel, and he did get crowd support later on, but he was definitely a heel. Raven, heel all throughout. Um, That was notable. Throughout this match, some uh, 
great chain wrestling, which you would not be surprised considering the two involved. And it's kind of fun watching this one and seeing where Jericho was in his career to where he ended up going. And even like Raven and his, this was almost like, I don't want to say the tail end of Raven's career because he did keep going into the 2000s. But he had such a lengthy career in ECW leading up to this that this was almost like he had already reached that upper echelon of where he was going to get. And uh, then afterwards, it just kind of, you know, he just he was just there. You know, he had his WWF run, had his TNA run, but he was kind of on his way, like the downward slope of Raven. There's no you know, disrespect to him. It's just where it was at. He did go back to ECW, which was notable, noticeable after that, made his return, I think, in 98 or 98. Late 98, early 99, if I'm not mistaken. He made that return, won the tag titles with uh, Tommy Dreamer. I could try to punch it up, but it's not. You know what I'm talking about. So, um, Other notable, notables about this match was the... Uh, Appearance by Canyon at the end. Who uh, Who's better than Canyon? No one. Um, he was there, I think, because him and Raven had a feud, if I'm not mistaken, afterwards. And then uh, the other thing that really stood out to me was uh, seeing Jericho do the Lion Tamer. It's uh, one of those moves. Like I know he's, he still does it, but uh, it's just not the same. The old Lion Tamer, the depth that he got, the arc on the uh, his opponent's back always looked fantastic. So he hit that in this match. Raven quickly tapped out and Jericho wins. So just a standard, standard opening match. Nothing too flashy, but it worked. So and it's a match I don't think you saw too often, Jericho and Raven. You might have seen it in WWF a couple of times, but that was it. Sorry, I had to yawn there. Like I said, it's early. It's 4.30 now. So uh, After that, we got a Bischoff-Hogan promo. Notable to me was the uh, Bischoff's, or Hogan's theme was just the basic NWO theme. It wasn't the Hendrix-Hogan theme. I guess you don't want to pay royalties for that one. So, just doesn't have the same vibe, though. Vibe, though. Um, they talked about beating down Horace Hogan the week before. So that ties in later to the Warrior Hogan match. And they showed clips of that. And fuck, the NWO black and white at the time. Woof. Looking in there, you know, Stevie Ray, Brian Adams, Vincent. And this is supposed to be a believable heel feud. Heel faction, sorry. No. I mean, it did have Scott Norton. Scott Norton's a fucking badass. But yeah, the, uh, the black and white had a huge star power discrepancy compared to Wolfpack. Uh, after that, Meng versus Wrath. When I talk about how, like, you notice stuff they could have cut out, this match had no build, no lead-up, nothing to it. Uh, good old Adam Bomb, same style uh, trunks, gear, like the same pattern that he'd wear almost with uh, when he was Adam Bomb, but uh, just didn't have the uh, nuclear waste warning sign on it, but the singlet, all of that. Meng, certified badass, his walkout, everything about him. Like, he just, you hear the stories about how tough he was, the fights he would get into, and him walking out, you believe everything that is said about him. Um, This was a standard match. Nothing special to it at all. What was noticeable, though, is uh, Wrath, his finishing move is uh, a 
pump handle slam called the meltdown and watching Ming roll out to avoid it. You are not expecting it. And Ming rolls out of it and you're like, holy shit, Ming can go. So that stood out. Uh, his, yeah, his finishing is a pump handle slam. Meng is a big boy. They said he's, you know, 300 pounds. Maybe, maybe, but he's a solid, solid dude. And Wrath actually got Meng up for the pump handle slam. I mean, the crowd was into it, but this got the crowd on their feet. Huge pop by the crowd when he hit Meng with that. Wrath ends up getting the win. And, uh, yeah, the finish, you know, got a good reaction on me. The rest of the match was, it was there. It was, uh, it was okay. Just, you know, standard, nothing, uh, nothing too crazy. After that, we got Disco Inferno versus Juventud Guerrero. The stipulation for this was the winner would go on to face Kidman later that night. Sorry, I forget how early it is and that I need to drink water for my dry throat because I'm talking and it's, you know, I'm not used to this. Usually I'm still sleeping for another 45 minutes. So yeah, the the winner of this gets Billy Kidman later on. And I just need to say, fuck Disco Inferno is just a piece of piece of work. Watching this match, I mean, there is numerous botches on his part. If I could compare him now, like he's a very safe worker and obviously you want that, but considering the rants that he goes on for uh, work ethic and style of wrestling and all that, like, man, he can just go fuck himself like straight up. This was a slog to get through because I did not want to watch Disco win. I think he's terrible. There is nothing appealing to his character at all. I mean, when I watch other stuff from his thing, like even his time leading like the Mamelukes and stuff like that, or I don't even, he wasn't part of NWO. He had boogie nights with Alex Wright later on. Yeah, he sucks. From that, going to TNA, being a part of Sport Entertainment Extreme, and then just trailing off into the sunset doing his podcast now. Terrible takes, and yeah, I have no time for that in wrestling. So, um, with this match, though, I mean, you kind of figured the finish was going to be what it was, considering who was getting pushed at the time. Hooventu did hit a massive, like, famouser on Billy Gun or not Billy Gun on Disco Inferno, massive famouser that looked great. But uh, Disco gets the win with a jumping pile driver. I'll give him, I'll give him that much. You didn't see the pile driver that much, considering the year before Austin had, you know, had his neck hurt by Owen. So the pile driver in WWF, what I predominantly watched, was not a huge thing. So seeing that in WCW around the same time. You know, okay, that was all right. After that, Scott Steiner promo. He's talking about his match with Rick. And uh, Steiner promos, they are definitely something special. You got to hear about the freaks and peaks and uh, the big bad booty daddy. It wasn't as uh, standout as his Steiner math promo, but it still got a chuckle out of me at some points. The basic of this promo was that since Rick had buff, he wanted to 
issue a challenge. Him and the Giant would be defending the WCW tag titles against Rick and Buff. So they were willing to put the titles on the line because, you know, they want to up the stakes. Out comes J.J. Dillon. He was the authority figure at the time and basically says, you can do that, but if Rick beats you guys, he gets, you know, the five minutes alone or he gets the singles match with Scott afterwards. Scott agrees. You're wondering what kind of shenanigans he has up his sleeve, but the uh, the Rick Scott singles match turns into a tag match. This also plays into the lengthy the length of the show where the ending was what it was. So, um, Fit Finley versus Alex Wright, another match with very little build, leading into a pay per view, and you'd think your pay per view matches should all have some sort of build just to. Uh, just to have a little bit more oomph behind it, to have the fans more invested and care about the match. They did tie this into uh, some history where with Fit Finley and Alex Wright's dad. I guess Alex Wright's dad was a wrestler, and he had battled with Fit, so it did tie into that. I never was really watching when Fit made his WWF debut. I only know him from his old WCW stuff. I know he had a very lengthy WWF career. Um, you know, a spot in the upper mid card. I think he was US champion, maybe. he. I thought he held their secondary title, or at least he feuded for it. So that's where he was on the, uh, on the pecking order. But I only know him from WCW and his... Uh, sort of badass tough guy run there. I think he was hardcore champion at one point, but um Alex Wright at the at you watch him at this time and he had a great look and so much potential. I always thought that he could have had the uh upper mid card sort of run, but never really got that. He kinda had his run as Alex, you know, the uh the German dancing machine. And then after that kind of trailed off his tag run with Disco then repackaged as Berlin with the wall but nothing ever after that you know he uh, when WWF bought out WCW it's not like his he went over there or anything and I don't know it was just uh, one of those guys where like the potential to really have something but just, just never reached it notable in this match was the abundance of European uppercuts and uh, one thing about that move is when it's done right, just looks incredible. And I mean, Fit Finley was picture perfect with his. Wright was busting out some good ones. And whenever I see it, I always think of uh, William Regal's European uppercut because that was like chef's kiss. Always looked fantastic. So Alex Wright, he uh, he actually won this match with a, they called it a reverse neck breaker which doesn't make sense to me because a reverse neck breaker would just be like almost like a cutter. So uh, it was a standard like neck breaker that he won, but it came out of nowhere. So it was a neck breaker out of nowhere, but he gets the win and it was a, a big win for him. You know, you wanted to see where he was able to go after that. Uh, they sh- Earlier they had showed backstage clips because at the time that's when, you know, they were always hyping up the website and having interviews on there. They showed Billy Kidman earlier doing one, and this one was Ernest Miller. Ernest Miller, after like he debuted, he was a face character, kind of help aligning with Glacier, 
But as soon as he turned heel and did like his James Brown shtick, money. The uh, his WWF run, as short as it was, was always notable when he entered the Royal Rumble with uh, Lamar and got thrown out right away because they were dancing. I think Benoit threw them out. Still gets a pop from me. And he had the uh, somebody call my mama theme music. So he was the one who made that one famous, not Brodus Clay. Lodi versus Saturn. What is this doing on a pay-per-view? No need for it. This would be a perfect match for Nitro to help get Saturn over because it was just a straight-up squash. There was nothing. Lodi got very little offense into it. The most notable thing from him was one of the ring attendants taking his signs away, and he was upset, so he went to grab them. So, like, why is Lodi on this card? Zero reason. No need for Lodi. And I have no issues with Lodi. But if you're running a pay-per-view, you're competing with a rival promotion, trying to put on the best cards, best events. A match like this, not needed. Especially with such little build. Um, This was Saturn post-flock, but pre-moppy. So seeing him kind of looked a little off as he actually had ring gear. Saturn's theme also the same as WWF. Like, it was different, but, like, same style. You heard the sirens, and, like, Lodi came out first, if I'm not mistaken, and then you're like, okay, who's he facing? And you hear the sirens, like, oh, yeah, it's Saturn. And then out comes Saturn, so... um. One thing that did look very, very cool in this match was Saturn hit a leg sweep, and it had huge Karate Kid vibes. I think it's Karate Kid um, with the sweep the leg. So I've never actually seen the Karate Kid movies. I've seen like part of the first one at a bar in Fargo, but besides that, I know very little about Karate Kid. Just you know, Mr. Miyagi, Cobra Kai. Put it this way: I've watched more Cobra Kai than I have Karate Kid. So half the references just fly over my head, but hey, Cobra Kai is very entertaining. Maybe one day I'll go back and watch the Karate Kids. Um, The heat's kicking in now, so you might hear that in the background. After that, we got the... Oh, sorry. uh, Saturn ends up winning with uh, Death Valley Driver, which uh, I always thought he used the rings of Saturn as his finish, but apparently there was a time where he was rocking the DVD. After that, we had Disco Inferno versus Kidman. This was for the WCW Cruiserweight title. Um, In my notes of this, the first line, Kidman good, Disco bad. So that shows, continues the standings of where I put Disco Inferno in my, like, give a shit meter. Kidman always very good in the ring. Like, I mean, he definitely wrestled the Cruiserweight style, the faster pace. But, like, technically, too, he was, like, very solid. And he was someone who I always wished he would have got a little bit more. I mean, he got like a run against Hogan there for a bit. But obviously Hogan's going over, brother. But then even in WWF, like in he was there but just didn't fit the WWF style. They were never going to push the cruiserweight style. Rey Mysterio got a push, but that's... It's Ray, so you expected that. But Kidman, he had his WWF run, and then I think he was an agent there for a while. But he always had the the skills and like technical aspect that you could have uh, seen more for him, even though companies just never gave it to him. 
one thing that really stood out in this match was uh, Disco hit a drop toe hold and dropped Kidman onto the bottom rope, which just looks so dangerous. Like, I know that, you know, they know what they're doing, but visually, fuck, it looks scary as hell. Like, I don't know if it was because of seeing um, the Enzo and Cass versus Vaude Villains match on a pay-per-view back in, like, 2017 and Enzo getting hung up on that bottom rope and, like, hurting his neck, but you got the same sort of vibes rewatching this. Uh, Disco hits another jumping pile driver. Um, f- you know, gets near falls, hits a gourd buster, and uh, you hear, like, the announcers bust out at Disco's looked very impressive tonight, and I'm like, just like, no, no, he hasn't. It's Disco Inferno. You know, lots of intensity, but just the drizzling shits. Uh, Kidman hits a shooting star press, gets the win. Thankfully, we do not see a Disco Inferno cruiserweight title win because that just would have capped off a, a night after that Hogan Warrior match. Uh, after that, we had the Scott Steiner Giant versus Rick Steiner Buff Bagel tag match. This, you know, tie tag title match uh, sorry um, Scott and Giant are walking out and this was peak Giant smoking to the ring just hacking darts something you would not see today at all and I'm just like I've completely forgot about the smoking Giant so that was a nice little throwback seeing that I mean for uh, an enjoyable watch we'll say another enjoyable part of this match was actually halfway through the match hearing seeing um giant climb to the top rope and go for a missile drop kick rick moved out of the way and he hit scott but the fact that he was able to do it and land it huge pop i'll, I'll try to post the video of it i loved it that much uh going back to the entrances you like you knew the kind of re- like the person buff was so oh yeah i'm going to align with rick and you're always like, eh, is he going to? He had the history with NWO, with Scott. Buff came out wearing jeans. Like, what would make you think that he's going to be, like, a true partner? He can't even get into his ring gear. It's not a street fight. If it's a street fight, yeah, it makes sense. Wear your jeans. Put your knee pads over top. He was wearing jeans. Come on. This was also peak leather daddy Rick Steiner with his uh, choker and leather gear, so... Really dropped the ball on a gimmick change for Rick there as Leather Daddy. Yeah, so Giant hit his top row bulldog. Um, Buff turns on Rick because who didn't see that coming? <sighs> Very sigh-worthy. Um, the end saw Rick actually hit a bulldog off the top rope, and he won the tag titles in a handicap match. I don't remember who he ended up picking as his tag partner afterwards, but it wasn't that notable. So he ends up getting the win, which to me, just not believable. This, the way the, they laid out the match, not believable at all. Rick wins the tag titles. That means he gets a match with Scott. So pretty much a nothing match. Like they had built up their feud, but these aren't the two kind of guys to put on like a great ring work match. 
what was notable is three quarters of the way through, a guy ran out in a Bill Clinton mask. The ref was knocked out, so he comes out in Bill Clinton mask, hits Rick with a slapjack. Who is it? It's Buff Bagwell with the most ill-fitting suit since, you know, we haven't seen one like that until JBL made his return and was rocking that fucking terrible suit. So, straight up, I, I in my notes, who books this shit? Because this was terrible. You had, you know, Buff and Scott attacking Rick. He fights off Buff, hits the Bulldog, gets a win over Scott Steiner. So, like, he's overcoming these insurmountable odds both times and winning. And it's like, it's Rick Steiner. This is not believable. I don't see it with him. So, peak WCW. It's great. Also, this is where I noticed the Welcome to the Jungle rip-off theme. That was that was good, though. Made me want to go listen to some GNR. I wish I had time to go back to bed after doing this. But after this, it's straight to the gym. And... If I'm going to record these again in the morning, like hopefully this will like line up my time better and I'd be like, oh, I can sleep another 15 minutes, then go. But that's just the thoughts of Blair at the moment. After that, we had Scott Hall versus Kevin Nash. Battle of WCW Black and, or sorry, NWO Black and White versus uh, NWO Red and Black. Huge props to the guy with the uh, No Limit Soldiers in the sign. No Limit, yeah. No Limit Soldiers sign in the crowd. And it was the uh, make them say, uh. So I think shortly after we got the No Limit Soldiers WCW partnership where Master P showed up with Silk the Shocker and Big Swole. Was it Big Swole? Swole? I think it was just Swole. Big Swole's the current wrestler. Swole and 4x4 and they had, I think, Brad Armstrong joining the No Limit Soldiers. Fuck, that shit's great. Um... Scott Hall had the early advantage and surprisingly this was a fun match like the crowd was into it you had two uh two stars going at it and it almost gave it that big fight feel to it even though there weren't any big stipulations no titles on the line nothing like that but it was still still a big fight feel and uh one thing I noticed while watching this was like Scott is definitely like on that level of top guys to never win a world championship because I don't think he ever won the WCW world. He never won the WWF one. Yeah, he had a few opportunities. I don't think he won the WCW one. I'll, I'll try to check, but he's up there with the guys for greatest to never win. I also put like ravishing Rick Rude up on there as I always thought that he could have been a world champion. I guess he did have the WCW International World Championship, but like, you know, the like, just not the like legit, legit. So if we're talking semantics, semantics, you know, if we're getting down to the brass tacks of things, then okay, maybe he did, but just not the, uh, it's not the same. Yeah, looking up Scott, he held the World TV, World Television Championship two-time U.S. heavyweight championship, seven-time tag championship. 
Intercontinental Championships, and uh, that was it. He was also uh, Match of the Year in 1994, Best Gimmick in 1996 as a member of the New World Order, and Most Disgusting Promotional Tactic with his Alcoholism Gimmick in WCW. Those were Wrestling Observer uh, Newsletter Awards, so I just want to pass those along to you as well. Oh, yeah, Kurt Henning is a great one to never win a world title. And I'll, the uh, only because I'm rambling and I want to know what the Rick Rude title he had was, I'll punch up his Wikipedia. And, uh, oh, there's Richard Irvin Rude. Pictures badass of him in ECW. Championships and accomplishments. Okay. So, Intercontinental Champion. Uh, he won a 20-man Rumble, a Slammy Award for Jesse the Body Award. Where is WCW? Oh, Jim Crockett Promotions. He was U.S. Heavyweight Champ. He was the WCW International World Heavyweight Champ. Three times, it says. So, and then the description, although it was owned and controlled by WCW, the championship was presented as the highest accolade of WCW International, a fictitious subsidiary. So, okay, he had that title, but it wasn't, really recognize as a world title so point stands sorry for the ramble but if i didn't figure it out then we'd all be left wondering what what title did rick rude have so um what i as the match went on one thing that uh you did notice was nash hit multiple power bombs which almost gave it that power bomb symphony feel to it and he it's two or three of them i think it's two and uh, after that, he just walks out, and Scott Hall wins by countout. The announcers played it off as he, like, made his point by, like, doing that. But kind of disappointing when you're paying that much money for tickets or pay-per-views, and that's the finish you see. So after that was Sting versus Brett. Considering WWE owns all this stuff, why wouldn't they edit Brett's theme to his old WWF one and they kept a shitty WCW one? They did it for everyone else they had. Like, you heard the Jericho theme as Break the Walls Down, so why not do Brett's theme? I will point out that at the time, Brett was U.S. champion, and the U.S. title looked very good on him. I think because the U.S. title reminds me of the old uh, WWF title, the the world title, the winged one. The U.S. one had the same sort of vibes to it, so it stood out. And I always liked the U.S. title, and yeah, Brett wearing it just it really suited him. Sting at the time was part of NWO Wolfpack, so he was coming out with the red and black face paint. But that's not what really stood out. It was the fact that he had a goatee, so he ended up looking like a South Park Bizarro World character. The uh, There was, like, I think the first season of South Park, they had the Bizarro World ones, where, like, all the uh, Stan, Kyle, and all of them had goatees. That's what Sting reminded me of in this. Um, Brett's WCW run, like... He had some okay matches, some great promos, but it was really, like, lacking something. And I think it was because nobody ever really believed Brett to be a WCW wrestler. So, it's he had his lengthy WWF run, and I think that's what everyone goes to. You just glaze over his time in WCW. Like, yeah, he left, he was there, and that was it. But he did have that fantastic El Dandy promo. He had fa- two fantastic El Dandy promos. There was another one from like a beach blast or event that was backstage. I think I've posted before on socials, but it's out there and it's good. Because he also gives props to like Dean Malenko in that 
promo. So, um, there was a ref bump in this match, and the way the ref fell, he like was in line with the if you were gonna throw Irish whip someone into the turnbuckle. So that actually happened. So they had to jump over the ref to land, like to finish the spot. And then I think the other wrestler followed it up. So he had to jump over the ref too. They keep battling. They go up to the top rope and uh, the ref is still down. They go for a superplex and they land on the ref's legs. Like (laughs) you're not expecting this. And it just turns hilarious. Ref couldn't move out. He was just KO'd. Uh, ref is still down. Brett pulls out the bat and he hits a couple bat shots. Locks Sting in the sharpshooter and gets the win. Yeah, it was a Brett WCW match. Not much to it. I say that and I love Bret Hart. But like I said, his WCW career did not have much to it. So it was it was there. That was the basis of it. It was a match. I'm all done my water now, so I only have two matches to get through, and one of them is just complaining about its shittiness. So, and that's this match: Hollywood Hogan versus the Ultimate Warrior in a rematch. An eight-year build to this match. Eight years, but when you look at the wrestlers, it felt like twenty years. Like you could see that they had both aged since their first one. They, I mean, Warrior was basically inactive for two years before this because he had his WWF run and disappeared. I don't think he wrestled anywhere else. I'm not going to check Wikipedia now. So, but eight years to build up to this. And man, it was something. I think it was the rematch nobody was clamoring for, but at the time, WCW needed something to try to build some hype towards it. So why not get Hollywood his win back? So. Um, no Hendrix theme for Hogan, I guess he didn't, WWF didn't want to pay royalties. So he got the standard NWO theme. I would have preferred the Hendrix one. I think it's one of the better, uh, licensed theme walkouts. The, uh, Warriors theme was brutal, which was the standard for a lot of theme music back then, but he did his run to the ring. And I think he was so gassed that the start of the match was like them kind of circling each other and you could just, it was like to build him time to catch his breath because he was still breathing hard at that point. So getting gassed on the run to the ring, some great stuff. I, I'm watching this match and I had the TV on in the background. This was on my laptop and I'm watching and they were doing a test of strength spot. And I kind of glanced at the TV and I was actually watching for a few minutes. I had to go back and rewind to see how long the test of strength spot was. It went on for minutes. Who wants to see that? Nobody. What is this crap? If you two can't put on a solid match, then why are you doing this? So you had a five minute test of strength spot. I don't need to see this. The, uh, in the giant match, they tried a uh, giant Steiner versus Rick Buff match. I mentioned that they tried a double team where Giant goes to the top rope, goes for the drop kick. Rick moves. They tried another thing like that. It wasn't a drop kick, but it was um, the NWO came out, tried to help Hogan because the ref is down, and they botched that again. Like 
way to make your top heel faction look like bumbling idiots. So, yeah, yeah, they botched that. Hogan goes for a fireball. You're you're watching this. He pulls out the uh, he pulls out the fireball and botches that too. They even mention that like they botched the fireball. Look, they did a fireball in on SmackDown like two months ago. Botched that. Botched a fireball in WCW. Why is that? That it seems like independent promotions can do this properly, but major promotions can't. I mean, I, I shared the video of Stefan Epic throwing the fireball at uh, ATM a few weeks ago. Um, that one looked incredible, but this one just looks like the drizzling shits. So, fuck, get your shit together. Why are you attempting a fireball if you don't know what you're doing? Like, come on, Hulk. Come on. Uh, Horace comes down with a chair. Everyone thinks he's going to hit the warrior. He hits Hogan. Wah, wah. A swerve that we didn't need. <sighs> Hogan gets the win. I capped it off with my note saying this was fucking terrible, and it was. This was one of the worst match I've ever saw, ever seen. And I watched that Yokozuna Mabel match from In Your House 4 or 5, the one in Winnipeg not too long ago, and I thought that was bad. This caps it. No need for this match. Nobody's clamoring for it. Nobody wants to see the rematch between this. I'm glad we didn't see a tiebreaker third one. I could not have handled that. I should have just done a best of Halloween Havoc after seeing that match. Fuck, that was bad. So because of the length of the show, as I mentioned before, the pay-per-view cut out at this point. DDP and Goldberg made their way out, and then the pay-per-view cut out. So you didn't see anything like that on this. No mention of it, nothing. But it did happen where, you know, you got to see Goldberg DDP as the last match on Nitro the next night. Um, DDP had quite the career for someone who like started so late. I mean, he really kind of shined in that under underdog role, even though he wasn't a huge underdog. Like you always kind of fought to see him. You wanted to see him fight and win. So that really stood out to me. Like, and he did have a solid career, especially in WCW. The feuds with Macho Man, uh, Raven and Benoit, the lengthy feud with NWO. And he was someone who, like, they kind of relied on him towards the tail end there as, you know, one of their main event stars. He had a few title reigns, if I'm not mistaken. And at the time, I mean, the crowd was very hot for this match. And it it was a very good DDP-Goldberg match. I don't think that anyone expected it to be as good as it was, but it was very good. Just like, I, I mean, I didn't expect the Hall-Nash match to be this good. Or as good as it was. So this match also had a big fight feel to it. And I think one other notable thing was because WCW, I mean, they were more known for it later on with their plethora of title changes. But I guess with some of the lesser titles, it happened a lot. So you almost kind of thought that DDP had a chance to win, even though Goldberg was on his lengthy run. So it was it was believable enough. The story they told with DDP, the build to this match, all the near falls, you thought, okay, there, he has a chance. 
Um, one thing that stood out to me in this match was DDP hit a um, head scissor takedown, like tilt a whirl type uh, type move. It looked very good considering it was DDP and it was like not in his standard book of tricks. Um, there was a great ending uh, ending sequence here where Goldberg goes for the jackhammer. DDP counters it into a diamond cutter, gets a near fall, and like the crowd bought it huge. So huge props to that. I love when there's a near fall and like everyone is like actually on the edge of their seat for it. And that was one of them. After that, um, Goldberg gets up, counters a, another suplex, I think it was by DDP, hits the jackhammer and get it, he gets the win and the crowd popped massive like they were red hot for this match and it definitely helped the match out so much more to make it as special as it was so Goldberg gets the win he uh, holds on to the world title and that was Halloween Havoc 98 a couple very good matches the DDP the main event was very good DDP Goldberg definitely if you can check that out and even the Nash Hall match was solid too so DDP Goldberg was definitely the uh, the tops of the card on that one. And then huge props to Meng and Wrath. Meng for that rollout it looked great. I'm going back to that as much as I can. So if you get time, go check it out and tell me your thoughts. If you want to rewatch it or if you remember watching it the first go around, just to hear what you thought, what you have to say about it. And uh, yeah, I just want to know it's uh, if you dislike the Hogan Warrior as much as I did. Like I said, worst match I've ever seen. So I'm rambling now. So yeah, that's Halloween Havoc 98. So hopefully uh, next week we'll be back with uh, another interview. I did record episode 100. I think this is episode 95. I recorded episode 100. I have a special guest for episode 100. Someone that I, in my phone, I have a, in my notes section, I have things I want to talk about with certain people if I ever got the chance. And I, I never say who's in my note list because I don't want to jinx it. But, you know, I have a few people that I really one day hope to talk to. And uh, my guest for 100 was one of them. So we had a great chat. It went on for about 50 minutes, I think, which was more than I expected that I would be able to talk to them. But uh, great chat. And it really turned out well. So I'm looking forward to sharing that. So that'll be in a few weeks time. So, Yeah. I mean, thanks for checking out the podcast. I say it every time. I will always say it. I appreciate you taking time out of your day to listen to me talk about wrestling. If it's your first time listening, you can find me up on Twitter at GreymakerPod. Shoot me a follow there. Let's talk wrestling. Up on Instagram, Graymaker Wrestling Podcast. Up on YouTube, same thing. And I started adding YouTube videos. You'll notice the Ringside Rapid Fire, which I had mentioned earlier. Uh, Just something fun to do. Go check out the... uh, some of the answers that the wrestlers gave and it was uh it was fun going back it it still pops me a little bit so uh Bryce Bentley's on there just had me going nonstop so uh yeah up on YouTube up on Facebook like all social media platforms um all podcast streaming platforms as well Apple Google Spotify and I got t-shirts for sale, 25 bucks a piece. I sold one last week, so uh, that was kind of nice. And uh, 
I, I hand dropped it off too. So if you want one, I will bring it directly to you and you can get a great Grainmaker Wrestling Podcast t-shirt, 25 bucks. If you're outside of Winnipeg, I can ship it to you and it's very reasonably priced. If you're listening in the States, hit up whatamaneuver.net, search Grainmaker Wrestling Podcast and you can get one shipped to you from there. And it's, if you're in the States, it works out to a better price. It's just in Canada with the exchange and shipping, you get raked over the coals. That's t-shirts, that's all the socials. I think that covers everything. So thanks again for the checking out the podcast. It was fun looking back at Halloween Havoc, as shitty as the Hogan Warrior match was. But uh, yeah, thanks for checking it out. We'll talk soon.